Somewhere along the way, we become adults. It's not a good thing. <laughs> We're back in the building, so I'm going to put in a couple of plugs here. Um, if you haven't got one of these over on the Welcome Center, you'll find one. This is a listing of kind of all the activities going on this fall, or most of them, and it's always being updated. You can always go to the website and find it there as well. We're really putting um, prayer and energy into try to connecting people. I know some of you have expressed that it's a little hard to get to know people if you don't know where to fit in. So we've created all kinds of things. So I would encourage you to take a look at that. You know, uh, something started last week. Uh, Hebrews on Wednesday night started uh, the study of Revelation. This week, world religions. In fact, across the hall, Bill Spear started apologetics this morning. And so that's just one example of some things that have already started and some things that are starting. You're welcome to come to, I think, all of them that are listed on here. If it's on here, you can come to it. Unless it says a women, women's thing and you're a man, you might have to get permission for that. But other than that, the uh, one thing that's not on here is on here on the back page of Dinner 6. There's information out there at the Welcome Center. Let me encourage you, if you've not ever been part of Dinner 6, it's, it's a very easy way to meet people and connect. Uh, you they put you in groups, and they meet once a month for dinner, and you just get to have dinner and talk and connect with people. So there's a sign-up out there for several of those things, so go take a look at it and read it. The next thing is that we have an inquirer's class next Sunday after church. For those of you that are kind of curious about the church, maybe uh, some of you are thinking about joining, or you just want to come find out about, you know, what do we believe, and why do we do the crazy things that Mark does up here, you know? <laughs> And uh, so uh, let me encourage you, there's a sign-up out there as well to put your name on it. And then after church, we'll, we will do that. Okay, as Mark said, we're starting a series, uh, A Lavish Faith, The Mystery of Generosity. I'm going to read a parable to you. It's out of Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure it's like treasure hidden in a field. You ever go on a treasure hunt as a kid? Looking for something valuable? It's like treasure hidden in a field. When the man found it, he hid it again. He hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Now listen to this again and notice the joy. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, because of his joy, he went and sold everything, all that he had, and he bought that field. When was the last time you found yourself so excited about the kingdom, so filled with joy, that you were willing to give up everything? When was the last time you felt that level of excitement and passion, that level of joy, overwhelming joy that you were willing to pay whatever price had to be paid, give up whatever it took? Acts 2 said the people in Jerusalem, right after Pentecost, they were selling everything they had and caring for one another. When was the last time you felt that kind of joy, that kind of passion? Listen to the parable right after it, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, a priceless pearl. When he found one of great value, he went away. He sold everything that he had and bought it. Sold everything. When was the last time you felt that kind of passion, 
about the kingdom. This series we're going to be doing for the next five weeks is about the joy of giving up everything for the kingdom, not just material possessions. We're going to talk through that. The congregation, the members, recently passed a 5% increase in the budget. And so Mark and I thought about it, and we thought it would be a very good thing, a very appropriate thing, since you passed it and asked you to fund it, is let's take some time and wrestle through these biblical principles. Because I, I know that depending on where you are, you're all in different stages of life, different places when it comes to material wealth, when it comes to your talents, when it comes to giftedness, when it comes to maturity, you're all in different places. But I, I look at people on a spiritual journey as it relates to material and possessions, and I, and I find them in one of three places. And we're going to come back to this. There are those that um, haven't quite yet figured out how to break the enslavement, the slavery that comes to debt and credit, and you're barely surviving. I know that there are some of you out there. It's a hard place to be. It's a very hard place to be. And you're probably thinking, oh, great, we're going to be doing a series on stewardship and generosity, and I don't have anything to give. Actually, you do. You have yourself. But even more important than that, what does it look like to move you from this place to where you're no longer enslaved to debt? What does that look like? I'm going to go ahead and put a plug in now. When we finish this five-week series, uh, Frank Butler and John Crow are going to do a, an evening, a Thursday evening, and it's on this, uh, it's on this thing, hint, hint, okay? A Thursday evening class on um, Financial Peace University, which takes you through the, the uh, biblical principles of managing money and credit and debt and all that. For those of you that are caught, let me encourage you to go to that and enjoy it. It'll be a very instructive, very wonderful time to think through how do we get out of debt. I've been there. I've been in over my head. Well, then there are those who have managed to get out of that and are now, uh, they're, at, they're now at a point where they're, uh, they've experienced some of that freedom. But now, for those of you that are there, what does it look like to build in principles, theological principles of what we're created for, especially as it relates to our material wealth? so that you can begin to experience some of the joy. And for those of you at the far end, where you've already moved beyond that and God has, has blessed you abundantly, what does it look like for you to experience joy by helping people around you? More than you even, and you probably are already doing it. I'll say this all throughout the series. I'm not teaching this because I think you're a stingy or a, con a congregation. It's quite the opposite. You're a very generous congregation. And we thought this might help you to take each group and figure out how to move further down the road. Some of you, you just, whatever you touch turns to gold. I know people like that. I praise God for you. That's not me. What I touch doesn't turn to gold. But some of you do. And I'm so grateful that God has given you that ability. That's not my ability. So what does it look like for you who have acquired wealth, created wealth? What does it look like to, to use that wealth in a way that generates the type of joy that is so passionate that you're willing to give it all away if you need to. So hopefully it'll be a fun series as we do. We'll be asking a whole bunch of questions. For instance, we'll be asking, do you see giving as a transaction or as a spiritual act? Is it just a transaction where you write a check or put money in the offering when it goes by? Or is it deeper than that? Is it really a sense where you experience God's grace? That's what a spiritual act is. When you engage in it, you experience God's grace in new and fresh ways. 
So we're going to explore some of that and take a look at that, and as well as many other questions. I'll admit, I'll admit right up front, it's tough for Christians who live in a materialistic culture to learn to be generous. I understand that. We're going to take some time and explore that as well, the world around us. And uh, we'll take, just say a little bit about it today, but we're going to move into that. I hope to um, help you separate out the difference between wealth and greed, for example. Uh, we should never be ashamed of wealth. God is the one who makes wealth. He made Solomon the wealthiest man in the world. Never be ashamed of wealth. Wealth is not the same as greed, and it's become very confusing in our culture, um, seems to me. And so greed is the concern. So we're going to talk about those things. So where do we start? Where do we begin? Well, if you were God, and I'm glad you're not, by the way, uh, at least some of you, uh, and you're glad I'm not, huh? <laughs> if you were God and you're going to introduce yourself for the pe to your people for the first time, what would you say? Where would you start? Would you start with how good you are? Would you start with how glorious you are? Would you start with what it's like in heaven? Really too bad that you're stuck here on the earth? Would you talk about the rules, principles of what you expect? Where would you start? It continues to amaze me year after year after year after year that God started with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a place to start. That wouldn't be where I would start. That's why you're glad I'm not God. Right? But that's where he started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's so wonderful about that? What's that got to do with stewardship? Well, we're going to get there. It has a lot to do with it. It has a whole lot to do with it. The beginning of understanding this whole question of generosity is to determine what is meant by the concept of steward. So let's talk for just a moment about what God did. In the ancient world, they, uh, they didn't think of, of matter, of what we see out here, as a gift from the gods. They just kind of assumed it had been around for most of the time. In fact, the origins of creation for many of the ancient nations involved conflict. You had the male gods wrestling with each other. You got this fist fight going on, and you have this young upstart god. They have different names for the gods, depending on the country. But the young upstart god is taking on the older god, and he prevails. Out of that, and I'm not quite sure how because I've never heard this explained, but out of that conflict, uh, everything we see in the material world happened. Here it is. From that time on, the gods are given the assignment. They're to have the responsibility of keeping everything together. We want the world in order, don't we? We want it to stay together. We don't want it coming apart. We don't want chaos. We, we like an orderly world. Well, I can't do it. Can you do it? In fact, can any large group of us together keep the world together? We can't, can we? Therefore, that has to be the responsibility of the gods. So they would worship the gods simply to appease them. Their goal is to make sure the gods weren't angry. And um, they, would, they would appease the gods and they would worship them because if the gods are happy, everything's happy. Okay? Then all of a sudden along comes our God and he said, you know, that's not really the way it worked. Let me tell you the truth. In, in the beginning, I created it all. I made it. I made it for your benefit. I made it for you. I made it for you to enjoy. So in Christianity, 
one of the core tenets of our belief system is that this is a gift from God and we should enjoy it and we should also take care of it. Now we're moving into the realm of stewardship, okay? Moving into the realm of stewardship. That's the basic storyline. God starts right in the beginning and says, I made this earth for you. What a loving God that he would do that for us. No other system felt that way. So the creation story tells us a whole lot about God. And it relates to stewardship and generosity through and through. Mark mentioned, he alluded to Psalm 24, that the Lord owns everything. Well, if the Lord created it, then of course he owns it, right? If he made it. By the way, uh, um, one of the ways we see the Lord's deep love and passion for us is by sacrificing for us. Now think about this. If God made everything, what does he have to sacrifice? He made it. All he had was his son. He didn't make his son. It's the only thing he had. If he sacrificed a tree, he'd just make another one. It's not really, there's no cost involved in that. So God illustrates the cost of sacrifice by sacrificing the one thing he had at his disposal, his son. Listen to Psalm 24. You heard Mark mention the first verse, but look where we end up. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Did you get that? The earth is the Lord's and most things in it. The earth, of the earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him except what you've earned by the sweat of your brow. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him except what you've been able to acquire through creating your own wealth. Is that what it says? It says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's you and me. This is the beginning point of understanding stewardship. It doesn't belong to me. I have been now granted God made me a certain way and then he blesses me on top of that so I have been dirt poor. I remember the day opening the refrigerator and there was no food. And just kneeling down and praying and say, Lord, if you don't rescue me today, uh, I have no place to turn. With my first wife, young wife, we were newly married and I had been laid off and she was very sick. I just remember opening the fridge and there was no food. So we prayed together and said, Lord, if you don't help us, we have no place to turn. And then a little bit later, I hear a kind of a little noise outside my door of my apartment. So I open the door, and there's our associate pastor standing there holding two bags of groceries with our address on a piece of paper. And he looks up at me and goes, I suppose it's too late to be anonymous, huh? <laughs> and I know many of you have experienced that. I know what it's like, as Paul says, to have nothing. I know what that's like. Everything I have is because the Lord blessed me with it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything you own, everything belongs to the Lord. Now, I'm so glad that we serve a fantastic God who gave you different skills, different abilities, different passion, different gifting, so you can all do your thing out there. He made it possible for us to accumulate wealth. He did. That's a wonderful thing, and to live in a country where we can actually own it. What a great thing. But don't forget, underneath it, it's the Lord's. 
we can accept that, then everything else makes sense. So the first principle we learn from creation is that God created everything. Therefore, he owns it all. Psalm 24 is a great way of repeating it. But it's more than that. We learn that God is trusting. He's very trusting because he placed us as steward over his creation. Okay? So let's say you work really hard and you got a business and it takes off and you sell it and you make five million bucks. Who are you going to entrust it to? That's kind of what the Lord did. He made everything and then he entrusted it to us. And then he says we're deaf and blind. And Isaiah, we're idiots. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? That God made everything and made us rich in so many ways, and then he gave it to us idiots to, to manage. I love it. I like part of being part of the idiot club. But isn't that the truth? Isn't that what happened? He gave each of you different abilities, and he entrusts to you resources. The question is why? That's the real question is why would he do that? We're going to get into that. In the New Testament, the concept of steward is used to describe a person given responsibility for another person's property. So I own it, but I'm going to trust it to you and ask you to manage it. That's what it looks like. When Nancy and I went away uh, to Germany as missionaries, we had worked really hard to save during the early parts of our marriage. And so I went to a friend of mine who was a stockbroker. I didn't know a lot at the time. I just went to him and said, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm going to give you all my money. You take care of it. I don't want to worry about it. I want to go overseas in Germany and share the gospel and teach. So we were gone for four years. I came back, and I said, well, how do we do? And he goes, God has really blessed you. <laughs> and he had. He did, he did well. He did well. Um, but the New Testament also reveals that this responsibility of stewardship is a very great responsibility. Listen to these words, which do include warning. Okay? This is a parable in Matthew 25. <clears throat> Again, the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Matthew 25, verse 14. It will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, and to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So God gave these resources according to people's abilities. That's something to remember right here. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. The, the, one, the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, put his master's money in the hole. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. It's exactly what I said to my stockbroker friend. <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You get brought into the fold. Enjoy it. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two bags. I have two more. I gained two more. Here they are. Master said, well done. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. 
for one bag, I'm giving you back. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received interest. Take the bag of gold away from him and give it to those to the one who has 10 bags. For those who have will be given more and they will have an abundance. Ooh. Tough words. This concept of stewardship should not be taken lightly. You are where you are partly because of God's blessing, partly because of the way he built you and the way he moves in your life. It shouldn't be taken lightly. You are responsible. He has made you a steward. Why? Why? How else are we going to learn generosity? What does the creation story tell us? That God is generous. He made all of this and said, it's yours. Enjoy it. Is that an act of generosity? Is it? What do you think? It is, isn't it? How else are we going to learn generosity if we're not generous with, with the responsibility God has given us? Nancy and I have a saying that, that we never lose by being generous. I have a thing I like to do in restaurants where I give the man or woman who's waiting on us a really hard time, trash talking to them. I know it surprises many of you. Right? I give them a hard time because I want to imprint in their mind who I am. And then I give them a really generous tip so they'll remember. That opens the door for ministry. You never lose by being generous. Never. Now, you can lose by being foolish. That's a different thing. We'll talk about that later on. But not by being generous. God made us to be generous. And he starts the, the whole storyline with us, with creation, because the very first thing he wants to say is, I am God, I am in control, and I made this for you, i.e., I'm generous. Therefore, I'm going to make you in my image so that you'll be generous as well. That's the main whole storyline. That's why we called it a lavish faith. A faith that just pours out into the lives of people. In a broken world, when you combine these two things that we just talked about, one is the responsibility of stewardship, which is an assigned responsibility. When you combine that with our created design to be generous, you know what happens? We become powerful gifts in a broken world. That's what happens. So on one hand, God gave us the responsibility of stewardship. And on the other hand, he created us to be generous. Is God ever going to ask you to do anything that is not in your best interest? He's not, is he? He's not. When I see, when I see God telling us to do something, I automatically have two thoughts. Number one, it's in my best interest. And number two, I'm not going to want to do it or God wouldn't have to tell me. <laughs> Quite honestly. Right? <clears throat> Everything in me doesn't want to be generous. So therefore, when I'm told, and we'll get into these commands, because there's a bunch of them that talk about being generous with our resources. When you put those two things together, our stewardship of all that God has given us and our creative design, design to be generous, we become gifts in a very broken and dark world. It's amazing. For example, 
I'll just use one example. Widows and orphans or the poor. Listen to these words out of Zechariah. You've got to understand, uh, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom in the Old Testament were struggling with uh, greed. Uh, they were struggling with uh, spiritual adultery, turning to other gods. And, uh, and both, all, most of the prophets accused the elders and the kings of exacting too much and becoming wealthy at the expense of poor people. So listen to what Zechariah says. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, Zechariah 7. Now this is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Basic, it's just a basic storyline that weaves its way all the way through the Bible. This becomes, by the way, this becomes the core of understanding the law. The law was all about taking care of the poor people. In Galatians 2.10, or in Galatians 2, Paul, after he had met with the Jerusalem leaders and he's going back out on his missionary journey, they agreed, Galatians 2.9, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked, the only thing they asked of us is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. They got it. The heart of the Mosaic law was to care for the poor. Love God, love people. Take care of those. Take care of those around you. That's why Acts 3 and 4, when Peter and John are coming into the temple and the, the beautiful gate, they find a beggar sitting there, we just kind of read over that. That's an astonishing little fact. The gate beautiful. Because you would expect a thousand miles from God's home for there to be a poor person, but not right on the front porch. The temple treasury was there to take care of the poor. That's one of its functions. So they walk into the temple and sitting right there is a, a lame man who's begging. It's an astonishing fact. Should have never happened. So when the world looks at us, do they see us using our resources to care for the poor? Not just our church resources. I'm talking about our personal ones. Do they see us using our resources for that? It's an amazing thing. It's the heart of the law. Whenever the Pharisees confronted Jesus, all he had to do was point to a poor person. That's all he had to do to highlight their hypocrisy. And he nails them on several times, several occasions, for their hypocrisy when it came to money and wealth. James 1.27, this is true and undefiled religion. To care for who? You tell me. Who? Widows and orphans, those who are poorer than us. This is true and undefiled religion that finds pleasure with God to care for. This is just one example. Now, I'm not trying to beat you up. Again, I believe this is a generous congregation. I don't think the opposite. What I'm trying to do is begin to help you build a, some principles for those of you that are, don't understand this, why we do what we do. This becomes important. So how can the poor be cared for if we are not generous? The Lord certainly can do that, but you know what? That's not his style. He lets us do it. Who's going to care for the poor? If we don't do it, who's going to do it? We shouldn't be the followers in this. We shouldn't let government agencies surpass us in caring for the poor. In fact, how many of you, when you see a poor person begging for food, how many of your natural thought is to say, let me see how much money I have, or does the government agency have to take care of them? 
Folks, it's our responsibility. This is at the heart of Christianity. This is one of those central tenets to care for the poor. If we don't do it, who will? We'll lose a rich blessing. Our natural tendency is to turn away from God and become proud. Anybody surprised by that? I didn't think so. I'm going to read you a short little verse from Deuteronomy. Remember, the, uh, they're standing on the banks of the river, and they're just about to cross over into the promised land. And this is one of God's reminders as they're standing there. When you have eaten and you are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. How'd you get your house? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, when you settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, that's a sin that's going to happen. When that happens, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Our natural tendency is to move away from that and to forget where it came from. It's very easy to think, I did this all. I did it my way. No, remember the Lord. The power of the culture in which we live, our culture, it's a very strong force, isn't it? We are constantly bombarded constantly with messaging that promotes selfish ambition and hoarding of possessions. Now, later on, I'm going to help you understand the difference between being generous and enjoying what you have. It's not one way or the other. We're not asked to be aesthetics. That's, that's swinging the pendulum too far, to give up everything and have nothing. That's not what it is. Because 1 Corinthians 9 talks about being generous, but 1 Timothy 6 says, enjoy the blessings that God has given you. So there's a balance in there. We're going to talk about that. We're going to work our way through that. But keep in mind that we live in a very challenging time because we are bombarded constantly, constantly. You know, the youth of today is bombarded with more megabytes of information in one day than most of us that were older had in our lifetime growing up as kids through the teenage years in one day. And what's it telling us? It's yours. Take it. That's a problem. This cultural influence not only distorts an accurate understanding of why God gave us possessions, but it limits our spiritual development. Because what we're going to see all the way through here in this series is that your spiritual development is tied to your possessions and what you do with them. Maturity is defined by generosity in many places. Many places. So we need to take a look at this. So what do we learn from all this and where are we going? Let me give you just a, some closing thoughts, closing principles. Number one, we are created to be generous because this reflects the very nature of God himself and we're made in his image. We're created for that. We're created to be generous. Our money, our resources, our assets, our time, everything that we have. We're created to be generous. Number two, we are given the incredible task of stewarding all that God has made. That's our responsibility. Everything from creation of the earth to our money to what we do with the building, all of that stuff. It's an incredible task, great responsibility. Number three, when we combine this created nature of being generous with the responsibility to steward, we become a gift in a broken world. We become the means by which God glorifies himself in the broken world. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at 
how do we discover this joy that is so powerful it makes you want to run to sell your stuff to acquire the kingdom? There's a book, I think it's out there, that you can purchase, a little book. It's about that tall, about that wide, about that thick, easy to read, by Randy Alcorn, perhaps the shortest thing you ever wrote, called The Treasure Principle. Let me encourage you to buy it. It's a very accessible language. It talks about the joy of unlocking this whole mystery of, of generosity and the joy that comes from it. We'll look at the obstacles to this joy. For some of you, this might entail freedom from slavery to debt. That may be the, what we can accomplish this year with you that are enslaved to debt. Let us help you with that. There are many here who are wise, who have gone through that journey and figured it out. For some others, it might entail a change in perspective of why God has blessed you. Why did he give you wealth and not others? Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that at all. Just don't be greedy with it. So why were you blessed? If, in fact, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And for all of us, we will think through the biblical principles of generosity and why that's worth everything. Why that priceless treasure, the kingdom, is worth everything you own. Everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your, your goodness to us. Thank you for loving us and being so generous with us. Thank you, Lord, for, for teaching us what it means to be in the lives of others around us. Thank you for teaching us what it means to share our generosity with those less fortunate because you have blessed us. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us what it means to, to impact others around us for this incredible kingdom, which is worth selling everything to get. And most important of all, Lord, for those of us sitting here, thank you for helping us to find that pearl a great price, that treasure hidden in the field that we get to enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen.